The Lifestylist, episode 95, featuring Jeff Kober. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You're listening to part two of two with Jeff Kober. Before we kick this thing off, I've got a very exciting announcement for you. I'll be spending my 47th birthday weekend in lovely Aspen, Colorado. That's right, my hometown, the town in which I was conceived many moons ago. First event that I need to tell you about is Friday, October 27th, where I'll be speaking at Aspen Shakti. I'll be presenting my workshop on modern day real life spirituality and how to overcome negative thoughts and emotions. Yes, that is actually possible. To come to my event on the 27th, you'll go to aspenshakti.com. That's Friday, October 27th at 7 p.m. Now that whole weekend, I'm also going to be attending an incredible experience called Lead with Love, which takes place on the 26th through the 29th. The 29th is my birthday. Hint, hint. If anyone wants to send me a gift. No, just kidding. But you might want to check this event out. Uh, Come out to Aspen and hang out. Lead with Love is a fantastically transformational experience put on by the nonprofit Aspen Wellbeing. It includes world-class yoga, a bunch of curated workshops, inspiring music, really good high-vibe food. And I'll be there taking classes from Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, and tons of other next-level spiritual teachers. So if you want to come to the Lead with Love event, here's the URL. It's leadwithloveaspen.org. Here's what's even cooler. If you want to come hang out for that four-day pass, you can enter the code LUKESTORY at checkout and save $100. So pretty cool stuff. So I'm going to be in Aspen that whole weekend just getting down. Please come hang out with me. Once again, I'll be speaking Friday, October 27th at Aspen Shakti. That's at aspenshakti.com. And then I'll be chilling at the Lead With Love event, which is leadwithloveaspen.org. Use the code LUKESTORY at checkout and save $100 off your four-day pass. I will see you in the Rocky Mountains, baby. I can't wait. Do you ever find yourself sitting there listening to this podcast going, oh my God, I'm so inspired. I wish there was some way that I could contribute and help Luke to keep this thing going every week. Have you ever thought that? Well, I have. And so I made a page on my website called the support page. If you go to this URL, lukestory.com forward slash support, you'll find a page there with an awesome little video of me explaining how the show works and giving you three opportunities, not one, but three opportunities to help make a small donation to the show. It's super, super quick and easy. It only takes about a minute to make a contribution, but those minutes can add up to hours and hours of future content on this podcast. So again, go to lukestory.com forward slash support and anything you can do to help would be so greatly appreciated. Today's episode is brought to you by Samina. Samina Healthy Sleep Systems are designed to incorporate what we now know is required for restful, restorative sleep. Every aspect of healthy sleep is addressed, including unrivaled back support, moisture and temperature regulation, plus pure comfort in a very clean, hygienic bed. Like people, Samina is a system comprised of layers, each working together to support the body's needs for healthy sleep. 
The components are made from natural, non-toxic, hypoallergenic materials and provide the essential elements, even grounding, to fall asleep relaxed, stay asleep, and awaken refreshed. Samina is simply healthy sleep. Go to JustHealthySleep.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 5% off all beds and accessories, which can save you a substantial bit of cash considering the initial investment in this system. Or if you're in Southern California, you can also make an appointment on the site to visit the Pasadena showroom and check out Samina in person. What's up, pimps, players, hustlers? You're back with another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm Luke Story, and I am here to deliver the goods, my friend. And I'm going to tell you something straight up right now, just straight up fact right to the dome. You are so fortunate to have stumbled across this particular episode because my guest is my esteemed meditation teacher and mentor, Mr. Jeff Kober. And this one, my friends, is a doozy. This has got to be one of my all-time favorite interviews slash conversations. Jeff and I go back a few years, and of course I'm a little biased because this guy's helped me out of so many scrapes. (laughs) He's like the dude I call when the shit hits the proverbial fan. And he is just a wealth of information, a really beautiful, fantastically enlightened human being. Jeff has spent the last 30 years studying and teaching metaphysics and meditation. He's also an actor. You might have seen his work on shows like Shameless, The Walking Dead, The Sons of Anarchy, and literally dozens of other TV shows and feature films. He also currently teaches Vedic meditation courses all over the world, and he writes a really cool daily Vedic meditation thought of the day, which he sends out on his email list. He's been doing it for a few years and uh, is currently working on putting that into a 365 meditation daily reader. So Jeff's doing some very cool stuff, creative guy in Hollywood, but also super conscious. So you, my friend, just scored from dropping in on this episode. Jeff and I sat down in my house for over two hours. So this is going to be a two-part episode. Obviously, you're either listening to one or two right now. It'll become obvious to you when you look at the show on your player, but this is definitely one that you do not want to miss. You want to follow through to the end because, uh, man, we go down the rabbit hole of spirituality, creativity, acting. It's absolutely fantastic. So some of the things we cover in this double epic episode are as follows. The story of how Jeff moved to Hollywood to become an actor. And then we really talk a lot about in the first part of this episode about, you know, acting for the art of it versus acting for ego and attention and fame and money and all of that. And what it's like for him to play such dark roles like in The Walking Dead and The Sons of Anarchy while still being this high-minded, high-vibe spiritual teacher. And the idea that evil needs to exist in order for good to have something to do. That evil is absolutely there to encourage heroism. Is that the word? Heroism. Yeah, heroism. (laughs) How as a human being, you need your ego to survive. But when you live through the ego, you are at the mercy of its demands. What he learned on his many, many spiritual pilgrimages to India. What's the main difference in Western culture versus the culture of India? Finding the middle path between Mother Teresa and total apathy. So how to have positive effect on the world, but not get caught up in that saving the world kind of do-gooderism craziness. How he finds balance between being an actor and a meditation teacher. How to avoid building a spiritual ego and getting caught up in the trappings of being special or enlightened. The power of jazz and the state of creative flow that it embodies. 
how he used Black Sabbath's music in order to get into character. And we talk about psychedelics as a spiritual pursuit versus attaining enlightenment on the Natch. The hidden meaning of Alcoholics Anonymous is symbolism. Pretty trippy stuff. Why the Vedic teachings of non-duality are so powerfully transformative. How sex dissolves all of the ego boundaries and is the highest form of human connectedness. What it was like to walk across India with the saint known as Sri M. Clearing up the misconception that pain for spiritual teachings is wrong. How to avoid spiritual bypass and face difficult truths about yourself. And the fact that the key to life is learning how to be a giver rather than a taker. So in this absolutely astonishing double episode, Jeff really, really delivers the goods. And as I said, I'm just so excited to bring this double episode to you. And it was such a meaningful one to me. I think you'll be able to tell just how enthusiastic and excited I was to finally sit down with my guy and get to share everything that I've learned from him with you, the listener. So you're in for a treat, my friend. I also want to remind you, don't forget to tune in this Friday for part two of this episode, if you're listening to part one. And if you're listening to part two, because these have the same intro, next week, number 96, features Lacey Phillips from Free and Native. And we sat down in my house and had almost an equally as intense talk about all things personal development, metaphysical manifestation, and all sorts of magic. So that's next week for number 96 with Lacey Phillips. Thank you so much for listening. Currently, I just checked my download stats. I'm at 840,000 downloads. I'm really working on getting to a million in the next month or so. So if you could do me a huge favor and just share this show with one friend right now, like literally just stop, pause the tape, and just screen grab, click share, do whatever you do to share information with your friends. It would mean so much to me so I can help uh, hit that goal and keep this thing on the rails, all right? Thank you so much. Until we meet again, peace out and enjoy this very special conversation with Mr. Jeff Kober. You know, it's funny, the other day there was a pretty historical fight between an MMA guy and a big boxer. I think, I don't even know their names. That's how far removed I am. But because it was such a novel thing in sports, I was actually curious about it. I wasn't going to watch it because it just makes my heart hurt to see Mm -hmm. people like beating the shit out of each other. But I was like texting my brothers who were into it. And I was like, who's winning? Like, I was actually curious because it was just... McGregor lost in the 10th. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Okay. And it was... And it actually, in terms of like that, you know, that sport, it was a good fight. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I watched Muhammad Ali and stuff, you know, and those yeah. that's when like boxing was boxing. They would go nine, 10 rounds like that. And then at some time when I was a teenager, they just seemed to like get tired and hug each other. And it was just like, wait, what is this? Like... Yeah, well, and then anyway. look what uh, uh, Ali spent the second half of his life with, you know, all yeah. kinds of... Yeah. Uh, neurological dysfunction. Yeah. I just, I guess it's one of those things where at a certain level of consciousness, you resonate with something like that. And not yeah. that one's better than the other, but it's like I was talking to someone on the show the other day just about the different types of music I listened to when I was in high school. Like in high school, I loved heavy metal and mm-hmm. punk rock. Mm-hmm. It's just like any other music that wasn't loud and aggressive and abrasive sucked. There's no way I would listen to anything. And as I've sort of changed and evolved, uh, hopefully for the better, I can't stand that music. Even my favorite bands, like the Stones or something, it's like, I don't like the fast songs. You know, it's like, I listen to classical music and Kundalini mantras and, you know, just like weird chanting and, 
anything that's at all negative or angry lyrics or anything like that. It's just like totally yeah, well, doesn't resonate with me. But you, you've, you're also someone who has spent years learning to uh, lessen the amount of that inside your own consciousness because you suffered at the hands of it within your own consciousness. So if you spend all this time learning to stop speaking badly to yourself and suffering within, you're, not, you're certainly not going to invite somebody to <laughs> yeah, throw yeah. that at you. Yeah, totally. And that's like when like rap, like the more like hardcore rap music comes on and I listen to the lyrics, I'm like, dude, this is going to like, it would make someone get road rage or just like, how can you be in a good mood listening to someone just be fucking pissed off? Well, you know? But because it's, it's resonant with some reality that is very loud inside that person. Right. And it, it, we're all looking for connection. So if someone on the radio is throwing something out that is resonant with the loudest voice inside of me, that's going to attract me. I'm going to want to bond with that because it allows, again, that feeling of flow to occur. Right, right. And and would you not say, I love how we're so nonlinear. It's great to have a guest that can go there with me sometimes. I mean, it's partially because of your personality, just your energy, but also I think because I know you. But when I interview some people, like I can't break them out of like their being interviewed formula, uh, uh-huh. you know, so everything becomes very linear and it's, it's just boring that way kind of, probably for the audience too. But in terms of this direction right here, it's like you sort of have this radio receiver that you're tuned to at, at different points in your own evolution, right? And then there's things that are kind of on the same wavelength as you people too. Have you experienced in your life where you've outgrown different types of music or books or shows or art or even relationships? Oh, where completely, like yeah. It seemed totally normal at one point and then you get a different vantage point from the inner work that you're doing and you're like, whoa, holy shit, how was I ever involved in this or that? You know, absolutely. I mean, when I was, I was telling someone the other day that uh, there was a point in my life, I was a maintenance worker in Yellowstone Park. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, for two summers. Wow. Um, I cleaned up after tourists and uh, picked, you know, paper from the campgrounds and cleaned their toilets. And there was the summer of amphetamines, I think it was 1974, where... Virtually every week I would run into someone in the campgrounds who would have a massive quantity of amphetamines that they were more than happy to share with me. And for a depressed guy like me, that was a boon, you know, because was, I was just I was self-medicating. And I would, on Fridays, I would get off work at 5 o'clock or 5.30, whatever it was, and drive from Yellowstone Park back to uh, my parents' home in uh, Park City, Montana, which is outside of Billings. And I would throw down some bennies and start drinking beer and put on uh, <laughs> Jay Giles or uh, Black Sabbath Paranoid. Oh, man. And just, you know, and just drive as fast as I could and just yeah. let that pound yeah. on me. Yeah. Now, I haven't had a Benny in 40 years and I haven't, you know. I, When's the last time you listened to Black Sabbath? Well, I actually, I actually listened to Paranoia just a couple of months ago because uh, uh, of a role I was working on. And oh, I thought, funny. I thought, I-, I wonder what that feels like today. Yeah. And it feels, you know, it feels old. Yeah. Now I can listen to Led Zeppelin today and, and hear the mastery of it and hear right. the musicality of it and hear a lot more of who those guys actually are and were. 
But at the time, they were right there with Black Sabbath and expressing something that I needed to have expressed that I didn't know how to express and that the rest of society was not giving me permission to express. And again, it's what's the loudest voice in here? And if the loudest voice right. in here is the rage of life being suppressed in me and the insistence uh, uh, on uh, ignoring the things that I see and the things that I feel, you know, and someone gives me permission to let all that be there, then, ah. But no, today, it's, uh, I don't listen to that at all. I listen to classical or I listen to jazz and, you know, yeah. country western. <laughs> you know, that's funny about jazz. I never in my life could get jazz because being a musician, when I listen to music, I picture the notes on the neck of the guitar or right. I picture what the drummer's doing. Like, I just, I visualize music a lot. And when I listen to jazz... I can't figure out what the fuck those guys are doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, because I never read music and I, I just learned oh. rock and roll from like listening to records. I don't really know music theory. And even now yeah. when I listen to jazz, I'm like, huh? But what's interesting, because that's, an, that's another category now that I really like, like bebop. Just I just love that, especially just, yeah. I don't know, like 50s and 60s bebop, jazz, yeah. just like the greats. But the one time, it's weird that I used to listen to jazz is when I was... Um, using a lot of opiates and I would just be in this sort of like Delta state. I mean, it's that sweet spot when opiates are like working for you. It's, it's rare and it only lasts for a short period of time. There's probably like a three month period when I first really got, you know, the beginning stages of addiction uh, to that particular, those compounds. And, uh, I would just turn my phone off and lock the door. I would put like moving blankets over the door so no one could like hear that I was in there, my neighbors, and I would just camp out in my apartment and I would fuck it. I had vinyl, you know, just like yeah. Charlie Parker and Charlie Mingus and um, Duke Ellington and just all, you know, just all this great big band stuff and bebop stuff. And I would just crank it like my ears were going to bleed and that jazz would take me into this beautifully transcendent place and I would just sit yeah. in there for hours and just get high. It was like actually one of the only real good memories for that short period before life turned into a total fucking nightmare yeah. of addiction and despair and hopelessness and you know suicidal fantasies and all the other good stuff that comes later <clears throat> you know hawking your cassette tapes on the corner for the next hit and all that fun you know demoralizing shit that happens but jazz is a really interesting form of music because it has a very specific frequency of consciousness. Well, and, and what it has... Because it has soul, but it also has a lot of intelligence. I mean... Well, and, and, and what it has is uh, it has a structure within which improvisation occurs. Right. And the improvisation is based on something, depending on the players, based on their ideas of music to some degree and based upon their feelings of being alive to some degree based upon their spirituality to some degree if you listen to Coltrane and start from the beginning and go up to to the end of his career you, you hear him exploring his race his culture his his spirituality and then see how his you know wife Alice carried on from there and went she became a spiritual teacher Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. yeah, Alice Coltrane. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. We'll put it in the show notes, folks. You know, you can always get on the mailing list and get those show notes at lukestory.com. Carry on. But again, it's that state of flow. That, right. You know, and we're looking for... The reason that I was attracted to jazz was that it would take you on a journey, and the journey was, to some degree, surprising to the player. If the player was good then he was surprising himself. They don't know where they're going either. They, they know some part of it. 
Right. But they don't know how they're going to get there. It's sort of like slalom course down. You know, you know you need to get back to that chord eventually. And maybe back to that time signature, or that you know, uh, uh, that key, but how you get there is going to be based upon what's turning you on today, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that you can tune into that, you get to go along for the ride. I just made a correlation based on that with the jam band phenomenon and mm. how it's so interrelated to psychedelics. You know, going back to the Grateful Dead and everything that spawned out of that style of music, which in the same way as, as jazz, it there is a framework. There is like, you know, a song in there, mm-hmm. but there's all this exploration and how that correlates to people sort of freeing themselves of the bondage of the ego and sure. yeah. the false self and the the uh, the thought process and just kind of almost having these outer body experiences based on that jam music. So I just made the correlation. That's kind of what was happening for me. I just didn't know it. I was having a spiritual yeah. experience, which was assisted chemically, yeah. which works for a minute. But that's, that brings me to a whole other thing, actually. We're going to get to meditation. It's funny. I'm like, I tease this episode to my mailing list. Like, yeah, it's going to be about meditation. I'm like, no, it's not. That's going to be part of it. But there's so much other shit to explore here. What's your take on psychedelics as a means by which to achieve a deeper spiritual experience? You know, now there's like this huge trend in people doing ayahuasca and MDA. And, um, you know, I've taken never uh, those, but copious amounts of LSD and mushrooms and things like that. And then studying a lot of the work of Ram Dass and, and those Timothy Leary and all those guys that really got into the psychedelics as a spiritual pursuit. But in the end, basically, all came out of it being like, eh, it's fun, but at the end of the day, you come down and still have to do the work. Okay, a couple things. First of all, I knew someone who was clean and sober off all drugs for 18 years and meditated consistently and regularly for five years. And could never quite get over his anger. And he made a conscious choice to go to South America and uh, fast for a few days and then do four ayahuasca trips over the space of six days. Damn. Because that's the way that's the oh, way that's you do how, it. That's wow, how you do that it. That sounds you're, hardcore. You're guided through it. And right. women come, they call them angels. They come and sit in front of you and sing you through your trip. And this cat healed his anger. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Now, I healed my anger too. I didn't do that. The difference between the two of us and our experience is that we've both been to the top of the mountain and had the benefit of being on the top of the mountain, but one of us learned how to climb. Mm. Wow, dude. Well said. And, and so there's an, this isn't the last mountain. <laughs> Right, it's not right. about getting to the top of the mountain. It's about learning how to climb. Oh, dude. Wow. I love that. You know, so that, that's, my, that's my opinion and my yeah. experience. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm asking for. Well, and that said, MDMA has been one of the most powerful tools that they found for dealing with people who have post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And people, there was this great article uh, uh, a couple of years ago about a, a couple in Virginia, I believe, who was using... MDMA with uh, war veterans, and they used it with one cat who had been uh, a worker at uh, Ground Zero at the World Trade Center, and for three weeks had picked up body parts. That was his job. And during that three weeks, felt that he was doing the most important work of his entire life. After the fact, 
the only thing he could feel was the horror of picking up body parts. And after three weeks, there were body parts that were, you know, rotten. Oh, my God. You know, and, and so he was in this horrible depression and despair. And again, they did a, they had a protocol where they guide you through an experience with the MDMA or ecstasy. And in, uh, under did the, it involve glow sticks and house music? I'm not sure. <laughs> but it, it involved uh, allowing their positionality to be freed from the horror. Mm. So that the horror became a much smaller piece of their overall experience. When you're glued to the horror, that's all you see, and it paints the whole world with horror. When you expand into a wider experience of what you are as consciousness, then the horror is that bit right there. And you don't have to, it's, it's like Hawkins describes it, like, the, you know, you're at Yankee Stadium at night, there's no one else there, the lights are on, and there's a radio playing in the dugout, and you're sitting right in front of it. You could walk out to center field. <laughs> I love that. The radio's dude. still playing. Right. But you're not glued to oh, it. That's, yeah. I've never, I, I remember him saying that on one of those tapes, and I never, um, I, I never made the correlation to the... I thought of it just in terms of the racing mind and the constant thoughts, but not in terms of like a traumatic event like that. Yeah. But that's what happens, right? When, you, when you're able to zoom out through spiritual work and get some perspective, those events, whether it's, you know, a death of a loved one or some sort of abuse that you've suffered... Or the loss of a relationship. Yeah, picking or, up body parts or whatever. Yeah. With a little time and a little recontextualization, it does sort of shrink and become that little voice in the dugout. And you're just like, oh yeah, I and see. And it's not that it shrinks, it's that you expand. Okay, okay. And and because you're not shrinking any of this stuff and you're not getting rid of any of this stuff. Okay. You know, the, in the, the program Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a symbol of a triangle within a circle. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think they have uh, unity, service, recovery on the three sides of that triangle. But that symbol is actually an ancient alchemical symbol that symbolizes the material of the philosopher's stone. And alchemists were searching for that which, when added to uh, lead, would turn it into gold. That which would transmute the lead into the precious metal. Not that which would get rid of the, the uh, lead. Okay. It would, okay. It's about transmutation. It's about right. not changing. You know, what the theory of the Veda or Vedanta says is that there is no such thing as darkness. There is only that place where light has not yet been shed. And light and darkness, and Hawkins talks about this a lot, that there is no darkness. There is just a relative presence or absence of light. <laughs> right, right. It's a continuum. Right, right. Same with heat. There's either a presence or an absence of heat. There is no cold. Right. There's just an That's, absence of heat. Is that not a great, simple explanation of non-duality? Yeah, it's light and uh, water are the ones that use mostly to d yeah. describe consciousness because you can't grab the stuff, you know. So you just answered my question in a roundabout way of that, like activism versus apathy mm. and non-action. It's maybe one could say, don't fight the darkness, just make the light brighter. Yeah, that's a really good way of saying it. Right? Yeah. It's like, because yeah. I want to contribute good to the world, but I also don't want to get caught up in thinking that in the fucking arrogance and immaturity of thinking, I know the way the world is supposed to be, and there I'm yeah. going to go make the world <laughs> fit the framework that I think it should fit into. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm going to save the world and save... It's, but this is, it's a really 
valid question right now. And, and you know, there's... Well, I think that's why I'm bringing it up because yeah. there's this is the question everyone's asking because everyone wants change. But it's like, for me, who am I to say what that change is supposed to look like? But if I can really go inside and express what seems to be intuitively serving the highest good in how I spend my life and the kind of output that I'm doing, this podcast being one small expression of what I feel I can contribute... I'm not trying to change anyone or change anything. I'm just going like, hey, if anyone wants to listen, I'm finding some cool shit and some cool people like Jeff Cobert. Check it out. Yeah. You know, maybe instead of going to uh, the Lady Gaga concert or whatever. Like, but even, you know, but even, if, I don't if, know. even if I'm going to the Lady Gaga concert, if I'm going there, which I have... I don't know I why have, I brought that up. She's probably pretty so positive. I have respect but. for Lady Gaga. Uh, she's, she's, she kills me, man. She's, there's a lot going on there. You yeah, know? No, I, I do too. I just mean like, I don't know, maybe, or even being on social media or just watching vapid reality shows or whatever. It's just like... Look, at any given moment, I'm feeding the ego or I'm feeding the self, capital S. Right. And, and uh, as someone Meaning who, the higher self. The higher okay, self. Okay, okay. The, the true self. And that I want to err on the side of feeding the, the true self rather than the smaller self. I, I want always to be conscious of and aware of to what degree am I aligned with the small self needs and to what degree am I aligned with the large self needs which are, is the, the large self wants nothing more than to come together with itself. And this is what uh, consciousness is always trying to do. It's always wanting to come together with itself and, and know itself as the oneness rather than as the separation. And is this why sex feels so good? Because that's the closest that we generally come to the dissolving of ego boundaries and the connectedness uh, and the, the higher state that that gives us, Absolutely. And maybe why during sex, at least from the male perspective, you can never be in as far as you want to be. Like there's, you never are able to achieve, I think just because you're still in the physical form, you can never achieve as much merge as you want to devour to the point where you're like, okay, we are one because you're still, there's still a, a, a sense of separation because of the physical embodiment. Yeah. And ideally, we recognize that we're seeking something where it can't be found. <laughs> right, and we right. use that as a... God damn it. As, as <laughs> that an would arrow. Just, that would be indicate, so easy, you know, if you could just find... Oh, the, no. You could, just find <laughs> no. The per, you could just find the perfect one, and then you would be complete. But yeah, maybe this that, is the ego speaking. Maybe that works, know? Luke. I've it, tried it, it doesn't. I, I have exhausted that. I've watched you. As a possibility. Yes, you yeah. have, very closely. Uh, I'm sure with too much amusement. Let's get into, because a lot of this comes from your study of Vedic traditions and various spiritual traditions, and of course, of your exploration of all things meditation. And I know that that's how I'm going to really frame this show leading up to, we're you know an hour and six minutes in, which is great. I feel like we've been here, we're in that zone where there's no time, yeah. which is beautiful. I watch the time because sometimes when this happens, I'm like, holy shit, it's been three hours. But I definitely want to back up because you're dropping so much wisdom here. I want to give people the framework of how this came to be. So let's let's kind of go into a part two mode here. How did you first find meditation? And did you have a few attempts at it before you settled on the meditation practice that you now teach? I meditated for over 20 years before I found the meditation that I teach. 
And I was meditating daily uh, at the last year, couple last few years of meditation before I found this practice, I was meditating an hour a day. Various mindfulness practices or vipassana practices and, and various ways of trying to still the mind, following the breath. And I was seeking a meditation practice and spiritual truths because I felt broken. I felt uh, that the darkness was the truth of me and I could just barely keep my nose above water. I, I saw myself as uh, not worthy of having life and certainly not worthy of having a good life or a healthy life or a pleasant life uh, for all sorts of different reasons um, based in religion and uh, the parenting I received and the experiences I had growing up. Um, you know, seeing myself as the darkness and not able to get past that no matter how many things I changed. And I changed my life entirely from self-medicating to not, uh, you know, from needing uh, various substances to get me through a day to not, and seeking uh, an experience of spirituality or God in everything all the time and not able to change it. And at a certain point, I just gave up. And uh, I had been to India already a few times. I just said, this is, if it hadn't changed by now, it's not going to change. I was 48 at the time, 47. That's how old I'm about to be. Well, uh, I, was, I was there, and it was, it was still, I was miserable most of the time. So before you stumbled across uh, Vedic meditation, you had been to India a few times? And I'd been to India, had extraordinary experiences. But meditation, I still wasn't able to have anything any kind of an experience that was other than my thinking. I would have, you know, feelings of transformation, feelings of going beyond, feeling, I was, I, I met the divine in a couple of different uh, forms in India. Hugely transformational experiences. In, but, the, in the form of uh, like a embodiment by a guru or teacher or just mystical experiences? Mystical experiences with uh, uh, various mortis or uh, uh, statues. Oh, um, interesting. You know, asking, asking very clearly for transformation to occur in my life and having a, uh, an experience in a temple where there was just, there was a life there saying, you sure about that? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. I'm going, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think so. And then having the same thing happen a week and a half later with the same, uh, an image of the same goddess. Wow. Sure you want, sure you want to, you're asking for everything which is no longer relevant in your life to be taken away. You sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then I got home and my, uh, my marriage ended the day I, I flew in from india wow um <laughs> you, you know i was just it was like uh, oh that that story that that would take us another hour but um you know, all sorts of experiences like that that were other than the mundane reality of being me but still no way of having an actual experience of myself as other than my thoughts and my feelings so never you were never able to achieve what i call that gap of separation the gap of separation where very, you're very, able yeah. to step into the witness position and yeah. be like oh that's interesting look what my ego's doing look what my mind is doing look at the animal nature the instincts yeah. like you're you're so close the way i just kind of describe that because i'm very familiar with that is sort of like you're you're standing in front of the mona lisa and your fucking nose is touching it you know it's like you can never fully get a perspective 
of that piece of art until you're able to stand back, you know, eight feet and you go, oh shit, now there's a you and then there's a painting that you're observing. Or or like standing at the front of a bus with your nose pressed up against the windshield and it's going, you know, 40 miles an hour through the city. Everything's going (laughs) past so fast you can sort of see it, but you can't interact with it all. You can't appreciate it at all. But step back 10 feet, let the bus driver do his thing and you can start seeing, oh, look, oh, there, I want to go visit that store and oh, they look like they're having a good time. You can start enjoying the scenery, yeah. So why, why do you think it is that even though you had these couple profound mystical or spiritual experiences and you were practicing meditation for all those years that you were never able to achieve that? What was the missing ingredient? Most meditations and the ones that I was practicing were about training the mind to give this a different experience, this being me. My mind is not a good guide for my experience <laughs> at all. You because, either? <laughs> because all it knows is what has already happened. And what life in me demands is the ever new, not the ever repeating known. So if I'm just trying to train the mind to give me a, a little bit better experience of my history being played out again and again and again, there's no place for that to go other than just, you know, you can get to even but you'll never have anything transformational. What life in us demands is transformation. In order for transformation to occur, I must have an experience of being something other than the surface experience of life. I must have a transcendental experience. I must have an actual experience of what I am that is other than all of that. Consciousness without an object. Uh, The whole of consciousness rather than this content of consciousness as hawkins would talk about Mm -hmm. is it not uh sort of pointless to from the context of those you know and not say oh this meditation is right and that one's wrong you know because then again we're in duality but i share so much frustration uh in alignment with your experience that i always tried to meditate and i thought that the point of it was to stop your mind from thinking. And so I constantly felt like I was a bad meditator or that I was failing at it because I would sit there and pay attention to my breath or this or that or whatever, doing guided meditations. And then if my mind would start producing thought, I'd be like, oh, there I go. I fucked it up. I can't even meditate right. Or I'd just be frustrated Mm -hmm. and never able to transcend because I'm trying to like, I'm I, I, to me, what it now being a practitioner of Vedic meditation under gratefully under your, your uh, training is that it's like trying to stop your heart from beating or trying to make your fingernails not grow like good fucking luck. Yeah. Trying to make the mind, that, that's what the mind was designed for is to compute. Mm-hmm. So you can't stop it from computing, but you can use techniques to, zoom out from that and disconnect from the computation where you observe it computing and you're not as bothered by it. It does become the voice in the dugout in the stadium. Yeah, and even introducing the idea of lending your thinking less credence is huge and can (laughs) can be transformational. But even that, without the experience of knowing yourself as other than the mind, that's just a conception. That's not, I don't know how much good it's going to do you. Right. You know, it's like, oh, I can imagine that, but how can I have that experience myself? Because, again, we define ourselves by what's the biggest experience we're having. And if I'm feeling depressed, that's my experience of the world. If my thoughts are running rampant about what needs to change in order for me to be okay, that's my experience of the world. If I'm filled with fear, 
everything is going to look like a source of either saving me from the fear or causing more fear or the cause of the fear that I have. Hubert Selby Jr. <laughs> once said, sometimes I feel like a scream looking for a mouth. You know, that's what goes on when we just pay attention to, when all we know is what this thinking and these emotions are telling us and the stories we tell ourselves about that. We're at the mercy of that. We must have the experience of what we are that is other than that. There's a correlation here to the matrix. Oh, clearly, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> well, the, those those cats are clearly meditators. They, yeah. yeah, that's what that's yeah. what it, it, what you're describing reminds me of is being unplugged, where you're like, whoa, there's a totally different uh, experience of reality here that I might have never tapped into, and yeah. God knows, you ever think about like how many lifetimes we've probably lived never having any other experience than the thoughts and the feelings and living by instincts and survival and, you know, being at the mercy of your mind 100% of a lifetime. Like, I wonder how many fucking times we've just wow. had that experience before the benefit of arriving and, you know, meeting that one person that went, hey, maybe try this meditation or try this, you know, whatever it is, yoga or anything that might take yeah. you there or ayahuasca or whatever, where you get to step out of it and go, oh, holy shit, I've been plugged into this false world that isn't even fucking real thinking it's real it's crazy to imagine like how many times we might have gone around without ever having that experience yeah hey check this out i recently launched something on my site called the master market it's a super cool store where i've got different categories whether it be spirituality mind focus outdoors food superfoods supplements bedroom sleep office jet lag biohacking there's even a bookstore from some of my favorite books and books recommended by my guest and what this is is like a hub where you can go find all of the links to everything I've either used and vetted or I'm currently using in my life to build the ultimate lifestyle. So it's called The Master Market, Luke's Lifestyle List, and you can find it at lukestory.com forward slash store. Just go to my site and you'll see it in the navigation. Now, what's really cool about this is when you make a purchase through my store, I'm not actually selling you anything. I'm just curating a really dope place where you can go find the best stuff. So I get a piece of commission if you make a sale through the site. The vendor, of course, makes some cash because you buy and you get a place where you can go and save time and money from not having to look around for the best stuff and do all the research yourself. But what's even cooler is most of those items come with a custom discount code if you go through my site, which is pretty cool. So it's a win, 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 triple trifecta win. Great way to support my work and the podcast and the show, as well as the brands and your own health and well-being. Check it out. LukeStory.com forward slash store. So you, you're trying all these other forms of meditation. You have a couple of mystical experiences, but because for whatever reason, the um, practices that you had could never get you there. How did you end up stumbling across Vedic meditation? You know, a, a friend of ours, Renee, uh, told Adele that she went and saw this guy and he gave her a word and she repeated it and it made her happy. I'm simplifying, <laughs> but that's basically what, what the story was. And, and Adele... Dude, wanted, it's not that much more complicated, really. Well, and Adele said, come on, let's go hear this guy. And I went, all right. And we went, and we went to see this, uh, this cat talking in West Hollywood. And we went into the, the apartment. It was a lovely apartment, but I looked around at the people, and I just judged the hell out of them. I said, these aren't my people. Then I saw a picture of an orange robe cat you know, where the guy was going to speak. And I just said, I'm out of here before he even came out to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Adele went with me, you know, and, and the guy who had 
ushered us in, went, wait, wait. I said, yeah, 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 have fun, and left. And Renee called and said, so you guys sign up? I said, no, Jeff left you know so you literally walked out walked out never saw the guy speak wow because i didn't want to you know i I didn't trust someone to tell me something spiritually and he's gonna ask money from me and all that right i didn't you know i'm i'm miserable but i don't want to be a loser (laughs) (laughs) you know i don't want to be made a fool (laughs) right right and so then another friend of ours had gone to that talk and learned how to meditate and said it's true you close your eyes, repeat this word, and it makes you happier. So the guy came back a month later, and we went to hear him talk, and we took another couple with us, and the couple we were with, the guy ended up heckling the speaker at the end of the talk. Um, And I still wasn't going to learn, even though he had said some things that really made sense to me. And and Renee said, no, here, call this number. And she gave me the number of the guy, Tom Knowles, and I I called him up, and it was 11.30 at night, and he answered the phone in a very good mood, and I said, so why should I trust you? He said, well, don't trust me, but trust your experience. Did you feel good when I was talking to you? Yeah. Did it make sense what I was saying? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and I said, well, okay. And I always thought that you weren't supposed to pay for spiritual teachings. Right. right. He said, yeah, that's a, that's a common belief we have in the West, uh, in spite of the fact that, you know, the Catholic Church is the largest landholder in the, in the universe. Um, wow. And, I didn't know that. And that... Uh, he said, and if I could come up with a way of giving this away without having to fund my life, then I would do that. But, you know, I, you're paying for my availability as a teacher. And he said, and as well, in spiritual, uh, in the realm of life itself, in order for transformation to occur, there must be an exchange of energy and information. He said, what I'm bringing you is, you know, 40 years of experience of, of doing this sort of thing and my time, my expertise, the studies that I've done, what you're bringing me is your attention and your, uh, your financial contribution. I said, oh, well, I guess I have no other reason to not do it. He said, what time do you want to come in tomorrow? You know, and I went and learned and immediately I had an experience of transcending my head. And uh, let me tell you, it was, <sighs> I took my first breath in years because <laughs> suddenly i was unplugged i was not yeah. just this this is the experience i have every time i meditate yeah. it's, it's crazy dude since i learned this technique and this isn't you know this is not an infomercial to convince people to take vague meditation it's just it's my experience but i meditated this morning for about i cheated a little i think i went 25 minutes instead of 20 you know 20 twice a day is the practice but I mean, there's nothing you could do to get me to not meditate. Even yesterday, Elliot was over, who you know, and also yeah. learned to meditate from you. And it's like, anytime, I don't always do the afternoon because I, unfortunately, like, or fortunately, I usually hit this peak of productivity and creativity and flow around six o'clock, five mm-hmm. o'clock, I kind of crash, then six when I would normally meditate. I'm really crushing it. And it's like, oh God, I got to stop myself from this creative burst and meditate. But Elliot was here and it's like, we're like, it's 545. We're like, Medi? Yes, dude. Time for meditation. And it's like, boom, we just love it. You know, it's like, there's nothing better than that, well, which that is reprieve. A, which is an indication of the uh, pricelessness of the practice. Oh, dude. Like, what, you know, Will Dalton, who's also a teacher of this meditation, once says, so Jeffo, he's, he's Australian and they always add, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Jeffo, Someone offered you a million dollars. Would you let go of your meditation? I said, no. He says, 10 million. I said, no. 
And he said, how much? I said, nothing. There's no way. There's, there's no, you, you can't, you can't put a price tag on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, it's interesting because when I first went to one of your talks, I don't remember where it was, but you know, the intro, cause I had met you and you're like, oh, I'm a meditation teacher and I'm into that kind of stuff. So I went and, and came, you uh, heard you speak and I was like, yeah, 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 I'm into it. By that time, I didn't have really any resistance towards those ideas. I would definitely not be weirded out by a picture of a dude in an orange robe or any of that. I've done way weirder stuff a million times, been to India and gotten duped by all kinds of false gurus and all sorts of shit. Another story, but it wasn't any of that. But I definitely, it was a little bristled by the fact that there was a fee associated with it, mm -hmm. you know? So there's a talk and then at the end, it's like, so if you guys want to sign up, this is the way it works. You're yeah. paying for it. And I was, I too had that sort of like, but this is spiritual. Like, you're supposed to get this for free. This is like, God wouldn't charge you, you know, for some wisdom or something. And it was a bit, uh, I had to uh, reframe that for myself and think about it. And then I thought about, well, yeah, like a pastor of a church or, I don't know, if I go watch Eckhart Tolle speak, I mean, somebody has to pay for the fucking theater. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, your meditation teacher can't go work at Best Buy. Then he won't be available. Yeah. To then, teach like, you. how's he going to teach people to meditate? Yeah. So, you know, I had to sort of just like wrap my head around and, it. And also, let me—I've taught yeah. a couple of people for free. Yeah. They didn't value the practice, and they didn't continue meditating. No skin in the game. No skin in the game. This is the same thing with the coaching that I do. Uh, I guess I just don't even like the word coaching. I'm trying to find a, a and I should just Google like acronyms for coaching because that's like such a goofy name. But when I work with people in sort of a guidance uh, counseling capacity, I charge a lot of money, mm -hmm. like probably more money than you charge to teach someone to meditate. Uh, well, it's not really on a scale. It's just a set fee, but it's a, a good chunk, you know? Uh -huh. And I had some issues with it myself personally. I think that were more rooted in my own self-worth, frankly, if I'm just going to be really honest. And then I had to just get over that shit. And I can tell when I have a conversation with someone that inter that's interested in working with me that they're either serious about it or not if money becomes the issue. And even people that I talk to in like a consultation, I, and I know they have the money because we've been talking and I know about their life. If money's the issue, it's not the money. It's that they don't actually want to change. Mm -hmm. And even people that it's a bit of a stretch to even afford the program that I'm offering that want to do it, it's a very clear indication that they're going to value the time and that it's going to be effective because they have skin in the game. And it's more even of a risk for them. Well, and, it, and it's a message to themselves that this matters. The Heisenberg principle states that the observer changes the experiment. Right. And the you know what the Veda would say is that the universe is looking for a cue from the individual. What kind of universe do you want me to be? And if I want it to be a universe within which transformation is the point of my life and growth is the point of my life and expansion is the point of my life, then that's the universe I'm going to get. If I'm just trying to get enough money so that I feel safe or get enough things so that I feel okay or get enough approval that I feel okay, then that's the kind of universe I'm going to be operating in. And then it's a either or situation. I'm going to keep this money because it gives me safety. I'm not going to spend it over here to give me something that might give me a wider experience of life, that might give me a, a more holistic experience of life, that will give me a way by which to become a part of the flow of life. At what point after you learned to meditate did you decide 
I want to teach other people how to do I this. I never decided that. Oh. Um, <laughs> what happened was, I would meditate, and every time this cat came to town, I would go and listen to him talk again, and I would... And I'm, I'm from, you know, I'm from Montana. I was raised on a farm, and I just started helping out. I would set up chairs. I would help welcome people when they were going to learn to meditate. I would, you know, calm their fears or talk to them about my experience. And, I, and then I ended up starting to help the teacher uh, in his teaching. I, I became like an apprentice or a protege because I just hung around too long because I needed to hear this stuff again and again because I'd been so grounded in a suffering experience of life that I needed to be continually reawakened to the fact that that's not what it's about. It's about something else. That's not what it's about. It's about something else. It's about joy, bliss, being, fullness. Um, and at a certain point, he said, I'm going to train some teachers and, uh, you know, you should come along. I said, no, man, I'm an actor. And he said, no, you're, you're, you're actually a teacher. The only question is, are you going to be an informed teacher or not? I said, listen, you're the guru. Get me a series, man. That's what I want. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I said, if I have a series, I won't go. And if I don't, I'll do it. And, you know, because it's a three-month commitment uh, out of town, um, partially in India, partially at the time in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I did give up a role in Trailer Park of Terror. Um, <laughs> but I went and did this training. And, you know, and I, I became a teacher. And... Here's the truth of it for me. Like, I know how to do this thing, and I know how to teach it. And the truth is that I've learned more by teaching it than I ever would have just by studying it. And one of the biggest things is, uh, I was just uh, teaching a course in Australia two weeks ago, and uh, in the middle of the course, I, this is a different, like a course of advanced Vedic knowledge is what it was. And I, I said, I've discerned that my spirit animal is Eeyore, you know, from the Winnie the Pooh, like, it's another day, you know, and my business partner there, her spirit animal is Tigger. She's like, okay, here we go. You know, so the two of us together actually make a whole human being and, and give me the energy actually to teach. And, you know, I, I was depressed for years and that's still comes up occasionally. And especially when I first started teaching, there would be people coming to the door, and the last thing I wanted to do was to see anyone. But you can't teach a bliss technique from a place of despair and depression. So you would have to arbitrarily choose to feel better. And guess what? It works. And you would have to arbitrarily choose to pay more attention to someone else's experience than your own. And guess what? It changes your experience. So that was huge for me. It has been huge for me to just... It's not about me. When I'm teaching, it's about giving you value added for your willingness to sit there, for your willingness to commit money. It's about, I want you to have the best possible experience of this you can. It doesn't matter how you see me. It doesn't matter how I seem. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter, especially what I think of me. What matters is that you're having an experience that can move in the direction of the experience that, that I'm having. And so all of those things have been absolutely essential for me to progressively disentangle myself from the skein of, of ideas about what I am or what I'm worth or, or what I'm supposed to be doing or what I should be thinking or how you're supposed to see me and, and all of that. I, I also hear in there a sense of um, accountability, you know, to your own process. And that's, 
that's been my experience of working with people in in the, in the context of being a mentor or a coach or a guide. It's like, well, I got to be doing this shit too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's like, you know, otherwise yeah. there's this, nothing feels grosser than hypocrisy when you have self-awareness and you're like, oh, I'm just like talking shit. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm talking the talk, but I'm not walking the walk. And you know what I mean when, yeah. when you, you feel that inside that. Um, well, because you're lying. That lack of integrity feels really creepy. Yeah. And you know? I'm the worst liar. I, I tried it. Trust me. I tried to just lie and mouth the words without having the experience of them, but it's it rings hollow. Do you think that your ability to convey this information and these teachings effectively and profoundly in a way that really impacts people is due to the fact that you've suffered in your own life to a degree and you've experienced dark nights of the soul and are not practicing a spiritual bypass method where you're just pretending like you know putting on a happy face and pretending like everything's bliss yeah, yeah it's, like you, you you've you've seen the darkness you know the darkness and therefore the light's able to shine brighter i i think i think so i think because we all hear the resonance of truth that is uh you know resonance implies that we have the same wavelength going on and so someone can learn this from me who has had experiences like I've had. Some other people hear me talk and they go like, oh, I'm getting as far away from that cat as I can. Some people, you know, hear another teacher talk and, and dismiss the practice and then come and hear me talk and suddenly go like, oh, this sounds very practical and like it might actually work for me. And, you know, it's not my job to figure that out. And I tried to teach from a model that was other than my own experience. It, this doesn't work for me. Does it feel I'm, phony when you're... It does. It feels yeah. like I'm presenting an act and, you know, I, I can't even do that as an actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I just can't. I'm, I'm, I don't have that skill set. Well, that brings me to my next question. And, you know, spiritual bypass is one aspect of it. And I think I, I like to bring that up because being quote unquote spiritual is so trendy now, which is a double edged. Oh yeah. I don't, you know, you're not a, you're not a big social media guy, but yeah, go on Instagram and like hashtag meditation or mindfulness. And it's like, I mean, yeah, it's a thing that people, it's like cool to be spiritual, which is fucking great. You know, I just, there's that part of me that's like, I was into the shit before all you guys. You know what I mean? It's like when you discover the new band before everyone else and then the band gets popular, like, I was listening to this 10 years ago. You know, I'm like, you guys are all late to the party. But that's just my own head trip. It's a great thing that people are into meditation and that mm-hmm. it's trendy to do headstands on the fucking beach on Instagram or whatever. But it's like, I'm halfway joking. Uh, but there is also a definite air of spiritual bypass in a lot of people that are sort of passing themselves off or trying to market themselves or successfully marking themselves as like a spiritual teacher. And mm-hmm. you look at them and you're like, you haven't been through the shit. You, yeah. ha- you, know, you haven't been to hell and back. And so it's difficult for me as you know, a, uh, an observer or a student, hey, maybe let me listen to what this person has to say. And if I don't sense that depth of being within them, if I don't sense that empathy from them, that they've really been through it themselves, it's difficult for me to lend credence to their teachings. Like I got to know a teacher has been to the fucking gates of hell and found a way back before I'm willing to find out what the trail looks like from them. So have you, have you observed in, you know, just in spiritual circles that there's a lot of that spiritual bypass going where people kind of stumble on it and they, you know, Oh, it's all about bliss and being happy and like, yay. 
spiritual and unicorns and rainbows and all that, but is it really necessary to go through the experience of the shadow to really well, have the goods? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> what a humble answer. <laughs> I mean, I, I, all, all, I can, all I can know is what it's like for me. Okay. And then I can imagine if I were doing some of the things I seen being done, where it is that I would be coming from in here. Yeah. Then uh, in my imagination, it's, you know, that uh, there's some voice that's really loud in here and some rationalization that is telling me it's cool that I'm doing this. Like, you know, like you can have a motivation to help out some organization by putting on a, a bake sale, but at the same time you're doing it in order to advertise your new cake shop, you know, right. it's like, right, right. you're saying, no, I'm doing this for the Girl Scouts. You know, right. no, no, you're doing it for advertising. So right. at least be honest about that. And okay. You know, so this we, is like, well, there's also, there's that element of virtue signaling too, of like virtue signaling. Well, you, you know, know. It, you can go back to, I mean, I was raised uh, in a, a, a Christian church and, you know, and that's the Pharisees, you know, like uh, praying so that you were seen praying. Yeah. yeah it wasn't yeah. about actually praying. It was about, <laughs> being seen yeah praying. yeah yeah okay so that's another side of it there's the spiritual bypass of sort of skipping over the hard work that it takes to yeah but you know what here's the deal man yeah. it is fucking challenging to be a human on the planet it Amen. is the hardest job there is and we're all going to go through the things that we go through to find our path through it and you know it, it's like I know Hawkins uh, said several times, he says, don't try to be better than you are. Be what you are. And at some point, you might find yourself no longer eating meat. You know, sometimes you might find yourself actually, you can have the idea that it's better to love than to hate, but, you know, don't try to make yourself because it won't work. Right. But at some point, you'll find right. yourself choosing to love rather than to hate. You know, I, I became, we were talking about vegetarianism earlier. I went to India, you know, a couple of years ago, as you know, and, and walked for a month with Sri M because he was walking the whole length of India because it was a promise he made to his master as a young man and because he was wanted to speak to people about the need for uh, religious tolerance of each other and uh, sexual gender equality. I walked with him for a month and lived with the Indians. I was a strange white guy in the corner, and everyone was like, who invited him? You know, and, <laughs> and I ate with them for a month. You know, my wife said she was cool with me doing that as long as I took her to Paris for Christmas. So I met her in Paris after my walk, and I ordered a hamburger and picked it up, and it wouldn't go within a foot of my mouth. It just it wouldn't go. And I haven't eaten meat since. It's not because I thought it was virtuous to become a vegetarian. Right. I, I love cattle. I have had lots of experiences of love with calves and, you know, and, and all of that. I raised cattle. I've talked to a lot of them in India. Um, but I didn't choose to become a vegetarian. It's just meat won't go in anymore. Right. You know, so what people, people are doing the best they know how to do. They're trying this. And, and, and you know what? If you don't have a way of experiencing something other than your ego self and the need for it, all the needs that it has, which is to find its herd, to discern what the enemy is, all those things that are popping off in here all the time. 
If you don't have a way of experiencing yourself as other than that, you're going to look over there and see what that looks like and then try to put that suit on yourself. And how do they talk? Oh, they talk like this. Oh, and they, you know, uh, uh, you mentioned Maharishi earlier. If you read the introduction to his translation of the first six chapters of the Bhagavad Gita, he uses the term mood making. And what you're talking about is mood making. Right, And it's right, where right. you have some sort of an experience that is <gasps> elevated, and then you don't know how to get back there. You don't know how to keep it, so you keep making a mood of that experience because that's, all, that's the only tool you got. Right. And if someone says, hey, what are you doing? Because I like what you're doing. You go like, oh, really? Okay, then I'm going to keep doing it. And oh, you're going to pay me money to keep doing it? Of course I'll keep doing it. You know, people are doing it the best they know how to do it. Well, I like what you're saying in terms of just <laughs> be where you are in terms of your own evolution and own that and just be authentic about it. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's the thing that's appealing to me is someone that's kind of willing to make fun of themselves and just go, hey, this is where I am at this particular point, doing the best I can because that really is the best you can do. And it's, to me, even if I might not, uh, it's like if I might not even agree with someone in, the, in their approach to life, let's say, or their philosophy, if they're fucking real about what they're doing and they believe in it, then I'm on board. It's, it's integrity is the word yeah, that I yeah. like. Integrity. You know, it's like, it just feels like, all right, cool. I might, I'm not into their like scene necessarily, but I respect it at least. I might not like it, but I respect it. Because they're doing what's in them to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then this goes into, in terms of mood making and, and all of the sort of mm, accoutrement that could come along with being a quote unquote spiritual teacher. How have you managed to avoid, or have you at times not avoided, building that false spiritual ego where the ego's observing you become the spiritual guy, gain some power, gain some wisdom, and then you're sort of playing this role of the spiritual guy, wearing the orange robe and the turban and sitting on the silk pillows and lighting incense and having people fawn over you and... you I know, think one of put the up a bunch of flowers around your little meditation cushion and that whole fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like that whole trip. Because you're, you're not like that. Like you're a pretty normal dude, but you're also a spiritual teacher. Has there ever been a temptation to like no. see yourself as special because no. you've got it? You well, got, yeah, you there's know? A, we're always, you know, there's always or there's occasionally the desire of all of us have to be special. Right. You know, but the fact is, I think one of the great things is that I've had to go back and forth between being an actor and being a meditation teacher. And, you know, in the acting world, they don't care if you teach meditation. In the meditation world, they generally don't care if you're an actor, you know. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so I've had to, and as an actor, you have to be open to embracing any expression of humanity so you have to, and in order to do that well, you have to know those parts of yourself. So I'm under <laughs> no illusion that I've become an enlightened, purified human being. I'm a human being, and I do it as well as I know how to do it. And, and often I, you know, forget everything other than just my humanness, and I operate from that. You know, so that's, that's one thing. And, and another thing is just, it's just... Can you imagine the level of responsibility to have to be wise all the time and to have to be enlightened all the time and to have to, uh, you know, make a mood that's big enough to uplift a crowd? That's just way too much work, man. And I, I, and I, I don't have, there's a talent that I'm missing in that area. 
you know, and thank God. But I, I do want to tell you one story because last year, I've been teaching for about 10 years now, just, just over 10 years. And last year, I noticed that I was being one guy who went out and got acting jobs and did them, and another guy who taught meditation, and I would just know which one I was going to be. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to be one guy who happens to teach meditation and who happens to act. And then I got this pilot uh, called uh, His Wives and Daughters, where I played this, uh, this world-famous old country western star who had many wives and a few daughters and had what a an, perfect role <laughs> i described it to my son and he said well dad that's you and you know the, his newest wife was 26 and beautiful and and the show was bookended uh, uh jane seymour was my first the wife i love so much i married her twice um but the, the it was bookended and and interspersed with these behind the scenes sorts of interviews and so I determined I was just going to be one guy for meditation and acting. And, and after they, we filmed all the behind-the-scenes stuff one night, and after they were done, I said, oh, wait, wait, wait turn, turn on the, the uh, uh, camera again. I got something. And, and I said to the director, ask me about my beads. And he says, so tell me about your beads. And I said, oh, these? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I got these from Maharishi back in, uh, I think it was 72. He said, Maharishi? I said, yeah, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi taught me how to meditate. <laughs> and I picked up my bourbon. I said, that and a little bit of bourbon gets you through just about anything. And I took a sip. They opened the show with that clip. Wow. And it was like, that's what meditation is. You don't have to be white robes and, you know, fluffy to, 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 to benefit from it, to do it. It's about becoming better what you are and allowing life to express through you and being able to give yourself enough space for that to happen. You know, so that was, that was like the, the pilot didn't get picked up. Uh, I wish it did. I want to see that scene. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll send it to you. Oh, you have it? Yeah, I have it. I was, I just, I fell down on the floor laughing when I saw it because it was just so, it was so much uh, just the epitomization of what I, what I mean, which is, you know, we're all teaching consciousness all the time. The way that I do anything is the way I do everything. The way that I interact with the checker at uh, Whole Foods is more indicative of my spiritual truth or my willingness to commit to being the truth of what I am than how many times a day I meditate, you know. And, and so we're always showing consciousness to others and sharing consciousness with others. And to the degree that I can make it about something other than me, which means about you or about something greater, and look outward rather than inward, after I've had the experience of looking inward past all my own garbage, and try to bring service and uh, flow to the world and try to give rather than to get, you know, then I'm living a spiritual life. Then I'm really in the game. Because the, the other thing that meditation really gives me, it's not just a vacation for myself, it gets me in touch with the place where I am fulfillment itself. And then the needs of the ego take on less weight because I know that the world can't give me what I'm getting in here. Totally. It, it can't. Yeah. It's not available out there. It's not available in the perfect person or the perfect job or the perfect amount of money. It's only available in here. And once I have it in here and know myself as that truth within, then it's no longer about getting, it's about giving because fulfillment can only give of itself. Fulfillment can only flow outward. And when I can couch my life in those terms and go out into any situation and just to give of myself... 
that's when I know I'm, I'm in the game. That's when I know that it, it's, you know, that I'm in alignment. It's weird. It's like you're through that expanded awareness, your values change, right? It's like, that's yeah. when my experience is just what's important to me is different than it used to be. Yeah. And I think the things that I value are more real and meaningful and intangible. But I didn't set out one day like, okay, I'm going to write a list of my current values. And by next month, I'm going to value all these things that yeah, are, no. you know, more holy. It's just like mm, different things become important yeah. in, in also in relationship to people in the world. You know, it's just like mm, what I'm looking for from myself and from others change, has changed so much as a result of, of meditation and all these practices. Like the shit that I'm willing to put up for myself is not, not much. You know, I mean, I have yeah. self-acceptance, but there's a certain like, there's certain lines within myself that I won't cross yeah. to say that I'm uh, maybe, you know, getting a little more integrity. And I love what you said about being one person. You know, there's some tapes I, list, I used to listen to by this uh, sort of a spiritual teacher. And he always said, you know, as he evolved spiritually, I'm one man no matter where I go. And he mentioned going to the grocery store and maybe he went to church and he goes on an airplane, he goes here and there, he goes to a job, he's in a relationship. And he described that as integrity, being one person, you know? Yeah. And that's, God, dude, like, talk about like valuing something and having a goal to strive for. Is like, wow, can I really be one guy if I'm interviewing you? What if you were like a 24-year-old supermodel from Brazil sitting here? Would I be able to just have the same conversation I just had with you not the same conversation, but be the same guy. Yeah. In other words, just be me. Yeah. And what's weird about that, and it sounds like you, you had a similar experience of just, God, what a fucking relief, dude. It's so much less work to just yeah. be your sloppy self. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I, I've recently, I think since I started doing this show and just, I don't know, making myself more public through social media mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm producing media that, the, I'm, you know, releasing out into the world. And it's like, when I did the first episode, um, I struggled a lot with it because I didn't know how real I wanted to be. Because once you like put something in the internet, even though you're a nobody at the time you put it out, you could become kind of a somebody later and then that shit exists. Yeah. So I didn't know in terms of my, my history and my past and just how much realness I wanted to portray. And I made a decision to just be pretty damn real. And it's so weird, uh, what surprised me is the response I've gotten from people is like the more goofy and just silly and retarded that I act and just the more real I am on my social media and on this podcast, the more people love it. It's just so weird. I'm like, really? You guys like actually- Because it's relatable. You actually like me when I'm being my crazy yeah. self and I'm not yeah. hiding who I am. And even in interpersonal relationships, just getting to the point where I'm like, God, I'm just sick of fucking hiding mm -hmm. and closing my heart to people and to experience. And just like we've talked and you said, you know, when I get uncomfortable, I call you. <laughs> it's when you hear from me, you know shit's hitting the fan. And you always say, dude, you're expanding. That's all that's happening. And the way I look at it is almost like you're sort of inflating like a balloon in a small room and you start hitting the walls and then you need a bigger room, you know? Yes, yeah, that's And it's like... I'm finding I have so much more energy because the hypervigilance of protecting myself and not being seen for who I am in fear of rejection is so much work. Well, and just the work of like, thinking about what I think you're thinking exactly. about me. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And trying to change that. It's yeah, like, yeah. I can't even change the way I think, let alone the way you think. Yeah, so. it's just so freeing, man. So I, I appreciate that perspective and I, and I just want to just 
give you a sincere and heartfelt appreciation for helping me to arrive at so much of this discovery over the past few years and just I'm just having so much fun in my life now. It shows. Just to sit here and talk with you in, in, in this environment is showing me you in a, just a really beautiful and holistic fashion. It's just really, it's really nice to see. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, yeah cool. I'm just I'm having fun exploring, getting to know so many fascinating people and, and sharing my enthusiasm for people like you with the world. And there's people listening. I mean, there's, I'm, getting, I'm creeping up on a million downloads on the show. It's wow. like, wow. That's a lot of freaking ears to be filling with hopefully really good information. And also, it's like I'm exposing kind of who I am to so many people yeah. and not and giving less fucks all the time about what people and think. And not dying when, it, when you expose yourself. Yeah, totally. It, and I'm sure there's a lot, of, the opposite. a lot of people that are like, yeah, you, I see who you are. Thank you for presenting that. And I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm not listening to your show and I don't like what you do and what you stand for and whatever. And being totally cool with that yeah. is, a, is a very, yeah. you know, it's a, um, just a sense of freedom I'm really enjoying. And just having the energy to just kind of like, wow, now that I don't have to, like you said, try and control other people's perception, it's like, dude, wow, the world is my oyster. It's just, wow, I can just be me, whatever. It's fucking awesome. So thank you for helping me to arrive there. I so appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So as we start to wrap things up here, and um, what do you uh, what do you got going on in your life right now? What, what are you working on? You got any acting projects or... Traveling for meditation. What's what's going on in your world? I was just in Australia teaching for two weeks. Um, probably go back there in the spring. Uh, I'm on my way. I'm teaching this weekend here in LA. Uh, next week, I'm going back to upstate New York, working on a, a series called Big Dogs with my friends uh, Summer Crockett Moore and Tony Glazer, who are producing that. Um, I come back here. I do a couple episodes of uh, NCIS Los Angeles. Uh, Got a movie called Beauty Mark that's uh, doing the festival circuit now. I won Best Actor at the LA Film Festival for my work as a uh, reprehensible but broken human being. Oh, in, congratulations, in this, in this man. I didn't know Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, so I, I, got, I got things going on and, uh, and uh, the, you know, and I'm doing, I just uh, been shooting Wet Plate Collodion. Uh, and I, I love doing that. I got a couple of pieces that are going to be in a show at Penumbra in New York. Uh, you know, so uh, I just I'm, I just stay busy with one thing or the other all the time. And and acting has seemed to be really taking off this last couple of years in a, in a different way. I've been doing it for over thirty years, thirty five years. But right, that's awesome. Congratulations. They, they, they seem to want to see me right now so that's awesome so do thing. i i love it when i'm on netflix and i'm like hey uh, i know that guy i know that guy thank you i think you're the only person i know personally that's like on shows on a regular basis it's really fun to see that it's oh, cool fantastic. Yeah. yeah so in terms of wrapping this up i have one final question that i ask every guest and that is you've taught me so much in life and in this episode you've taught the audience uh, an abundance of great wisdom here today who have been three teachers or teachings could be a book philosophy a person that have influenced you that you might point the listeners to that want to learn more about where you got this stuff the first the first teacher who really uh uh affected me deeply was uh, sri arabindo who was uh, an enlightened master and one of the greatest uh, vedic sages of the 20th century um, and that's what I was studying the first couple of times I went to India, um, and staying at the ashram, or actually the Auroville, which is in uh, South India, and was started as a, 
a way of embodying the teachings of Sri Aurobindo um, and bringing a higher experience of life uh, around. Um, David Hawkins, whom you turned me on to, is yeah, just, that's right. That's right. You know, yeah, is, yeah. is someone who embraces uh, the uh, Advaitic perspective, um, the just way of seeing oneness, integrity as the truth of what is, and everything else is just a place where you're not knowing that where you're ignoring that. Uh, Hawkins is, uh, I, I love Hawkins. And, and right now, I, it's, I, I don't know how much, uh, where he'll stand in the pantheon as I go forward, but Josh Waitzkin is just killing me right now, uh, The Art of Learning. Oh, not um, familiar. Cool. Yeah, uh, your your pal Tim Ferriss has had him on a couple of times, but Josh Waitzkin, uh, The Art of Learning, his, uh, there was a book and a movie years ago called uh, Searching for Bobby Fisher about a young chess prodigy. That's Josh Waitzkin was the young chess prodigy. Oh, and interesting. And so his, his uh, and then he became a, uh, a Tai Chi Chuan master after he was a chess master. And he talks about just the reality of and the actual nuts and bolts of being your best self and bringing your A game no matter what's going on and not being at the mercy of your surroundings. And, and it's an extraordinary book. I'm just, I'm halfway through it and just taking it very slowly and uh, really soaking it in. And, and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to break the rules and, and also say that the surrender experiment. Um, oh, you, Ellie, I think you turned Elliot yeah. onto that and he told me about that. That was, uh, you know, because I, I was in Australia a few months ago and, and needing to teach and it was the last thing I wanted to do. My pilot hadn't been picked up. I was miserable and it was like, no, I refused to play. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. So <laughs> if you want him taught God, you go do it. And my friend who, you know, had, had money in the, in, the, in the game said, you need to read this. And I, I read this book and uh, it's... Uh, it was it was very helpful for me at the at that you know moment. what the author's name the surrender experiment the surrender experiment he's the same guy who wrote the untethered soul michael we'll we'll find it we'll put yeah. it in the show notes cool that's Sorry, awesome i'm glad you reminded me of that because elliot keeps bugging me you gotta read that book oh, jeff man. told me about it yeah and and what you're describing about what you're doing now which is letting yourself be who you are and seeing what it does and then going forward from that, that's what the whole book is about. Awesome. Yeah. Timely. I think there's a, yeah. uh, there's a reason I keep kind of having that tug. Like, yeah, what was that book? I, you know, I think about it periodically, and I haven't pulled the trigger, so I'm going to do that. Okay, and then in closing, where can people find you, your work, if someone wants to learn to meditate from you, find you on social media, websites, all that stuff? JeffCoberMeditation.com. Jeff Cobra Meditation on Facebook. That's basically it. Um, and also on Instagram. I know you're not a big I, I think <laughs> big I'm on there, media. but I, I You are. I, I was looking at it last night. I was like, there's not that many pictures, you know. But there are there actually are you know what'd be and dope. I'm a photographer. I know, so you know, that's what I was thinking. I was like, um his photography should all be on here, but I know how it is. You need people to do that kind no, of No, I need you know? someone to show me how to do it. I'm yeah, yeah I've I'm not adept. I, dude, area. I get it. Look at all this equipment here. I mean, it took me months to figure out how to do this And that, that brilliant woman over there taking care of it all. Thank God for Thank that. Thank God yes. for that. So yes, help is essential. But you can, uh, people listening, you can find Jeff on Instagram as well. And um, and then just to let people and know. And also just on, on the Jeff Cobra meditation, uh, there's a, a place to sign up. I, for the last six and a half years, I've been putting out a daily thought. Which oh, is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a, a, just a... a one way of looking at the world differently today, and uh, I, I, st I just do it. Uh, it costs no money. 
it's free. Yeah. Um, and and uh, what I get out of it is that I have to put it out every day. And it's taught me a lot about selflessness. And, and I have to read things and think about things in a way that is other than the way my mind normally works. So you can sign up for that uh, at Jeff Cobra Meditation. Yeah, that dude, that's amazing that you're still doing that. Because I remember a few years ago when I first met you, I was like, oh, that's cool. He'll probably do that for a few months, these daily yeah. – because they're, you know, I mean, they're not long. Listeners, don't be afraid that it's like, you know, some – novel that you have to read but it, they definitely are have you've taken some consideration and time yeah. it's not just like hey uh it's not a tweet yeah it's not like hey just think positive today have a good day guys i mean they're pretty profound and simply stated but there's definitely like some intention there that's um you've you can tell you've taken the time and they're very thoughtful oh, even though they're here's, brief. here's the deal i made with myself i was like how long is he gonna do this shit how exhausting yeah, i'm asking the same question but the deal I made was if someone actually commits to reading this whole thing, they're going to feel better at the end than they did before they started. Right. Yeah, and, and that's what I that's what I try. Have to you do. considered compiling those daily thoughts yeah. into a book? I have someone looking at that right now. Oh, cool! Um, someone trying. To I've do always that thought right. that when I get them because they're brilliant and they're brief and digestible. Uh, but a lot of great teachers have done that where they you know have like a daily sort of a daily meditation book that takes you through a year or whatever so it'd be cool to see that in one consolidated place but yeah you guys go to jeffcobermeditation.com sign up for the newsletter i'm i'm on it myself i can vouch for it uh okay cool well i think that about wraps us up dude we're right at two hours and 25 seconds oh, i am man. so late my wife is gonna kill me she was wanted to get a pedicure and she didn't have a car today well um, you can 100 blame me i will say i tried to get up and luke had these cameras on and he wouldn't let me go and uh, it's all his fault what a pleasure man thanks for having me yeah thanks so much and uh, i look forward to seeing you soon I'd like to make a prediction right here. I would like to predict that you are so grateful that you decided to tune in for part two of this epic interview with my teacher, Jeff Kober. What a fantastic guy, right? I, as I listen back to these episodes sometimes when I uh, you know, put them out on iTunes or I have to go back in and extract some notes in order to do these bumpers, the intros and outros and whatnot, I'm just amazed at the, the caliber of people that I have the opportunity to sit down and have these discussions with. It's just astonishing. Like, I have such a dope life. It's complete madness. And what's even more mad about it, in the most positive sense of the word, is that you beautiful people get to join me on this journey. It's, it's just, it would be one thing to have these conversations with such brilliant people, and then they would just kind of disappear into the ethers. But the fact that I get to capture them on tape, I'm old school, I still call it tape, even though there's no tape involved. I get to, I get to lay down these tracks, man. <laughs> I get to lay these deep cuts with these fantastic guests and then share them with the universe. And I get so much great feedback on you know Instagram, people message me and on my website, I'm really making an impact in my own little small corner of the world through sharing these intimate and uh, what I think a lot of the time are very informative and enlightening conversations. So I'm just super stoked that you made it back here for this episode. And if for some random reason you're hearing this and you just heard this episode, but not the first one, part one, homie, you tripping. You got to go back and hear part one. This is a two hour epic interview with Jeb Cobra. So 
if uh, if you just caught this half, good for you. But like, do yourself in the world a favor and go back and catch uh, part one because that's where we talked a lot more about creativity and his acting career and things like that. Whereas this part two was more centered around meditation, mindfulness, spirituality, and all that stuff. So anywho, uh, thank you so much for joining. Don't forget to tune in next week for my interview with uh, Lacey Phillips from Free and Native. And that will be number 96, man. I'm creeping up on 100. So thank you for keeping it 100 with me. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. Bye. I'd like to again thank Samina Sleep Systems and remind you to get over to justhealthysleep.com and when you do, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 5% off all beds and accessories. Now that might not sound like a big savings, but these beds are really quite an investment as you're going to find. So 5% can mean a few hundred dollars. So uh, definitely remember that code. And as I said earlier, if you're in Southern California, you can also make an appointment on the site to go over to their showroom and see these beds for yourself. Once you see them, if you're anything like me and you really care about health, you're going to become obsessed with getting one. I mean, they are that cool. They're literally the dopest beds on the entire planet, in my opinion. And I've checked out a lot of healthy bed systems. So Samina Sleep Systems, find that at justhealthysleep.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 5% off, or just get over there and make an appointment to see the showroom, tell them I sent you, you're going to save some cash and you're going to sleep very well for many, many years. Okay, one last reminder about this happening in Aspen, Colorado. Again, I'll be speaking Friday, October 27th at Aspen Shakti. To get into that event, you'll go to aspenshakti.com. Then that whole weekend, the 26th through the 29th, I'll be attending and enjoying thoroughly the Lead with Love event featuring Deepak Chopra, Marion Williamson, and tons of other fantastic people. To come to the Lead with Love event, go to this site, leadwithloveaspen.org. Use the code LUKESTORY. If you're coming, save yourself 100 bucks off the four-day pass. So two fantastic events in the Rocky Mountains. Come hang out with me at some high altitude, some high vibes. We're going to have a fantastic time. Hope to see you there.